Well, we're going to be starting a new series next Sunday. Uh, hopefully, that we'll have 2020 vision of God in the year 2020. And uh, God tells us uh, in the book of Psalms that if we really want to know him, we need to know his names because the names that we are given of God in the scriptures help us to better understand him, his character, his attributes, his perfections. And so next week we're going to start a short series. So we have been on the uh, book of 2 Corinthians now for quite some time. And uh, I know, at least for me, it's been a blessing to me to read through this uh, book of uh, 2 Corinthians and to be able to study it and to uh, preach on it, uh, where the Apostle Paul really is dealing with some serious issues and shares his heart. He becomes very, very personal. And so We've talked about this before, that this is probably the most personal book that the Apostle Paul ever wrote. And so today we're really going to be kind of drawing it to a conclusion and talking about chapter 11, 12, and 13. But we're going to focus on just a few verses in chapter 12 in a portion or a passage that many refer to as the pinnacle of uh, this book of 2 Corinthians. And it's that pinnacle where Paul tells us that God's grace is sufficient for whatever we deal with in life. No matter what our life experiences are, God's grace is sufficient to help us through it. And he tells us something that really is contrary to our culture today, and especially to the American culture, where he tells us that his power is made perfect in weakness. None of us like to be weak. None of us want to ever admit that we're weak. And yet God tells us that uh, he, his, his grace is made perfect. His power is made perfect in our weaknesses. So I want to, uh, this morning, to really give us an overview of chapter 11, 12, and 13. And then we'll focus on these key verses that are so important for each and every one of us. Now let me remind you that in chapter uh, 7... We talked about regrets, and so we, we looked at how Paul talks about what do we do when we have regrets in life, and all of us have regrets. He talks about repentance and restoration and reconciliation. And then in chapter 8 and 9, he talks about this collection and how we're really to be concerned about those who are poor and hurting. And so they were taking a collection for the church in Jerusalem that was suffering terribly and, and they were going through some hard times. And uh, the church at Corinth and other churches uh, were taking collections to, to uh, give to the hurting people in uh, Jerusalem. And so in those two chapters, he's teaching us that we need to be givers, not just takers. We need to, to give out of... Uh, uh, a heart that's filled with understanding how good and great and gracious God is. And then uh, we get to uh, chapter 10. And chapter 10, we talked about where Paul is focusing on a battle. And how the greatest battle that we ever have in life is the battle for our minds. And so there's so many things in our world, in our world, that's trying to get our attention. 
and to influence our thinking. And so Paul tells us that the greatest battle we'll ever have is right between these two ears. It's the battle for our minds. And so we need to know God's word and God's truth so that we can deal with this battle and live lives which honor and glorify him. And so today we look at chapter 11, 12, and 13, uh, just in a, a picture form, and then focus on chapter 12 and verses 7 uh, through 10. And so I, I want you to realize that in this portion of Scripture, Paul, first of all, talks about his sacrificial service. That's found in chapter 11 and verses 1 through uh, 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 16. And so why is, is Paul dealing with this? Well, he wants them to realize that even though he's going through all kinds of difficulties, he's facing all kinds of disappointments, and yes, even some disasters, but nothing has kept him from serving God. When I read the scriptures, I, I think there are two important things that we need to realize that God never lets us out of. He never says, hey, it's okay, I understand, you don't need to do this anymore. The first of all, first of all is love. God never lets us out of love. He never says, you know, th that person's insulting you and that person is, is, is doing bad things and, and so you, it's okay to hate them. We can hate certain actions and attitudes, but we're to love. So God never lets us out of love. But I want you also to realize that God never lets us out of serving him. That's why the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 9, that we are saved in order that we can serve. And we need to serve the true and the living God. And so here's Paul. He wants them to realize that even though he's, he's dealing with a lot of issues, a lot of hardships, he's still serving God. Let's realize that God wants us to love and he wants us to serve him regardless of the experiences in our lives. Now, he tells us then in chapter 11 as well, verses 17 through 33, he talks about his suffering and stress. And so uh, the false prophets, those that were trying to ruin and wreck Paul's ministry in Corinth, were individuals who apparently were saying, well, you don't, um, we suffer more than anybody, and, you know, we, we deserve to uh, be honored, and we deserve, you know, for you to follow us and not to follow Paul, because, you know, we, we've paid the price. And so Paul's boasting a little bit. In fact, he, he, he tells us that. He says, in essence, you know, how we, uh, you know, deal with foolish people sometimes by foolishness. And so here he wants us to know that he's boasting, he's, he's being foolish in a sense, because he wants them to know that no one has suffered more than the Apostle Paul. He doesn't focus on that all the time, but he wants them to realize that he has suffered greatly. There's a great deal of stress in his life. So I want you to take note, though. I'm not going to read the entire chapter, but I want you to note that what he, what he says to us, because it relates to the focus of our message today in verse 23, he says this. He says, with far greater labors for more uh, imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less 39. So five times he was whipped 39 times. He says, uh, 
Uh, once or, or three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. Now, I'm going to give you something to think about here. And you don't have to pay extra for this because I'm not even sure how important it is, but it was something that I got thinking about this week. I was talking to a really good friend of mine who's a Bible scholar down in the South, and we were talking about governance, church governance and church boards and all. And he said this to me, he says, you realize that we only find something about, quote, boards one time in Scripture. It's found in the book of Acts. And you know what the boards were? The board that the Apostle Paul had to hang on to so he didn't drown when he was shipwrecked. Now, I don't know what that means. I don't know what that says to us. But sometimes we place such great emphasis on church boards and other boards. And, and here Paul's talking about a board, but it's a board that he's just hanging on to for dear life. So then he goes on and talking about these, this suffering and, and stress. He says, um, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, the Jews, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold uh, and exposure. And then he lists one last issue that in his mind is the, is the hardest, the greatest of all. He says this, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. And so Paul says, here's all this stress, here's all these sufferings, and on top of all of that, I have the care, the stresses, the, the concerns, the worries of all the churches. Now, Paul goes on and he talks then in chapter 12, verses 1 through 6, about spiritual ecstasy. Now, God had taken him 14 years after, before he wrote this to, uh, into heaven to get a glimpse of heaven, paradise, if you will. And that was a miraculous thing. And what Paul's saying is this, I've never talked about this. I've never uh, really talked about uh, what words I heard in heaven because I wasn't uh, allowed to uh, talk about it. But I want you to know that God has revealed great things to me and that I've had this, this spiritual ecstasy and uh, it was not any credit to me, but it was God revealing certain things to me. Now, why is he talking about this? Well, again, here's these false prophets who were bragging and telling how great they were and how they had all these experiences and special things that happened to them. And they were saying that Paul wasn't worthy to become an apostle and you shouldn't listen to his words because he never had the things happen to him that we have. And so there was this spiritual pride among the false prophets. And Paul's saying, okay, uh, let me tell you about something that took place in my life. Why is he doing this? Not to defend himself, but he's defending his ministry and the truth of God's word because Paul as an apostle was giving us the inspired word of God, which is to be sufficient for us in all things. And so he wanted them to know that God had revealed great things to him. Well, then he, he tells us in verses 7 through 10 of uh, 2 Corinthians. 
he talks about his strength and satisfaction. So let me read this, beginning in verse 7. He says this, So to keep me from becoming conceited, Paul's concerned here, uh, or God is concerned, that Paul might start to uh, think too highly of himself. That because of all that God had done for him, he didn't want Paul to be filled with pride. He didn't want him to boast. He didn't want him to become arrogant. And so he tells us that he gave, uh, God gave him, uh, through Satan, a thorn in the flesh. And so he says this, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, in other words, being taken to heaven, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about uh, this, that it should be uh, taken from me, that it should leave me. But God said to me, and here's the key, here's the pinnacle, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will um, boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities. Now note this, for when I am weak, then I'm strong. And so God uh, answered Paul's prayer, but not the way probably Paul wanted it answered. And God says, you know, I'm not going to take the thorn, but I'm going to give you something far better. I'm going to give you the grace to not only deal with that problem, but to deal with every problem that you will have in your life. Now, in looking at this passage of Scripture, we, we see often the word weakness. And so Paul takes this word weakness, and he, and he throws a lot of different things that took place in his life uh, into that term, weakness. And so this week, I was, I was thinking about uh, this whole issue of weakness and, and what's weakness in, in the way that we can understand it. And I got thinking about uh, uh, an issue that probably some of us have experienced and most of us know about, and that's the, the issues of stress fractures. And so when we talk about stress fractures, stress fractures are tiny cracks in the bone. And so we read about them, and they're caused by repetitive force. Uh, they're often caused by overuse, or running long distances, repeatedly jumping up and down in, in sports or whatever. And so stress fractures can uh, also develop at times uh, from uh, normal use, or they can uh, begin uh, to be weakened by a condition such as osteoporosis. And so there are low-risk fractures and high-risk fractures. In other words, they're not all the same. Now, when we think about these stress fractures, then, we have to realize this, that if untreated, then the pain uh, will get worse, and at times it can cause even greater uh, damage. So maybe there's some of us in here who have had stress fractures. Maybe we've dealt with them. Maybe we haven't. But 
But uh, when you don't deal with it, oftentimes uh, it can result in visible deformities and misalignment and limited movement and even infection. And so uh, it can uh, result in some pretty damaging things, not only where the stress fracture itself is, but even surrounding muscles and, and nerves and, and ligaments. So the weaknesses that the Apostle Paul is talking about here are like stress fractures. Now Elaine generally doesn't know what I'm uh, speaking on on Sunday, and so this week she, uh, in her devotions, read something that she felt I needed to read, and she didn't realize that it related to my sermon today. And so it's actually uh, taken from a, a devotional uh, by Chuck Swindoll entitled The Finishing Touch. And he talks about uh, stresses that fracture. Now, let, me, let me read this to you. I won't read the, the entire devotional, but I, I think that we can relate to this. And I want you to know that he begins by giving us a definition, and the definition is not a normal definition. So it's his personal definition. Here's what he has to say. Stress. That confusion created when one's mind overrides the body's desire to choke the living daylights out of some jerk who desperately needs it. You ever feel that way? I'm sure it was, it's just me. None, none of you ever feel that way. But that's what his definition here for this devotional is of stress. Here's what he has to say. No, you won't find that definition in the dictionary. But right now, I think it should be. It's been one of those weeks. They have come before. They will come again. Know what I mean? Overcommitment, deadlines, unrealized expectations, people problems, a stack of phone calls to return, a couple of major interruptions, not to mention an enormous bill from the vet after he treated our dog, telling us she has some profound exotic inner itch or something like that. Choked traffic lanes on the freeway, every freeway, eating too much, eating too fast, a sprinkler system that went on the blink and sprayed water all over my freshly washed car in the hot sunshine, the water heater leaking all over the garage. My inbox resembles the leaning tower of Pisa. And then one of my grandsons asks innocently, Bubba, how come you yell when you talk? On top of all that, I receive a six-page letter from a pious soul who feels led by God to correct my position on the day of Christ died, my too liberal view of eschatology, my extravagance for owning two cars, and how I ought to be doing this and not doing that, page after page from a guy who doesn't even know me. I know, I know. I should turn the other cheek. I really ought to see the good in it. If I practice what I preached, I need to think of him for caring enough to confront. Well, not today. Today I think he's a jerk. I suppose it's the timing of it all. On, other, on some other day, I'd probably not give his words a second thought. But when you suffer from stress fractures, the soft cushion of tolerance gets deflated, leaving nerves raw and feeling bloody. Stress fractures aren't limited to athletes. 
micro cross, um, microscopic cracks in bones are painful, but can they match the hurt of a stress-fractured spirit, an aching heart? That's a pain like none other, isn't it? It's deep. It throbs. It lingers in the day and haunts you through the night. Some folks treat their stress fractures with booze and drugs, extramarital affairs, and hyperactive lifestyles. That's no treatment. It's more like pouring a jug of gasoline on a match. There has to be a better way. So, what do we do to stop the pounding? Oh, that's a question. First of all, lighten it up is a good start. Try not to make a federal case out of everything that happens. You see, he doesn't talk about it here, but stress fractures, there's low stress fractures and high stress fractures. But let's realize that we can't make every fracture a high stress fracture because most of the time they're not. Then laugh more. Admit those imperfections. Let some stuff go. Don't try to be Wonder Woman or the all-powerful Mr. Fix-It. Talk to a friend. Get away for a fun weekend. Go see a good movie. Get absorbed in a fine, relaxing book. You might even spend the night out under the stars. Cancel a few not-that-important meetings. But above all of this, turn it over to God. Tell him everything he has uh, he has no problem hearing about your, our hurts. Furthermore, he can keep everything a secret you tell him. He can even handle it when you yell. As the pounding lessons, so will your pain. You ever feel that way? Well, Paul's feeling that way. And he's writing to the church at Corinth. And I think there's three things that, that jump out at me. First of all, is the, the reality of suffering and stress. It's not just Paul, is it? It's all of us. I'm always amazed at how God works even in messages that, that we strategically plan certain series and so forth, and, and yet we, we don't know what's going to be happening in church when I'm dealing with certain passages of Scripture. And right now, there are so many things happening with the people of this church. Nothing bad as far as internal church issues, but people are going through such tough times and dealing with so many stressors in their lives, dealing with death of loved ones and, and, and all kinds of issues. And here's a message that we all need on that very issue, that God's grace is sufficient and that God's grace as it relates to his power is made perfect in our weaknesses. And that's what Chuck Swindoll is talking about. And so life changes, changing experiences, suffering is mysterious at times. We don't always understand it. And so we, we sometimes go deal with suffering and stress because of sin in our life. We, we sometimes can, can make foolish decisions and, and uh, you know, we're just downright disobedient with, to God. But that's not what Paul is dealing with here in chapter 11 and 12. He's really probably talking about issues that are more related to the divine purposes of suffering and stress. How God wants us all to grow. And so here in this passage, Paul wants us to realize that God has brought into his life this 
this uh, thorn in the flesh, and he does it to keep him from sinning. God doesn't want him to be boastful. He doesn't want him to become arrogant like these false teachers. And so here's this thorn in the flesh. Here are, here's a weakness that will keep Paul's attention focused on God. And so God says, my grace is sufficient. It's in the present tense. It means that God's grace is there then, now, and forever. It's an everlasting grace. And it's sufficient for whatever life experiences you and I are dealing with. When Paul talks about this thorn in the flesh, you realize he doesn't tell us what it is. No one knows. Sometimes I read certain articles and they'll tell me what that thorn in the flesh is. Scripture doesn't tell us what the thorn in the flesh is. Probably because God wants us to realize that we all have them in different ways. We all deal with these different weaknesses. Every one of us has something different that we have to deal with. And if probably Paul gave us his specific thorn in the flesh, his weakness, you and I'd say, well, God's grace is sufficient for that, but not for what I'm going through. And God wants us to realize that his grace is sufficient no matter what we're dealing with. And so our weaknesses are are really... uh, Uh, times in which those weaknesses are vehicles of God's grace and power. And so the reality here that Paul talks about uh, in regards to this suffering, he deals with it in chapter 11, we've read that, and uh, he deals with it as in regards to this thorn in the flesh that no one really knows uh, what it is. And he wants us to realize, though, in this, that uh, that thorn was given to him uh, to help him to live for God. Now, he even lists sometimes here, uh, notice uh, at the end of uh, verse 10, he says, I'm content with weaknesses, and he even gives us a list of categories of uh, these weaknesses or suffering. He talks about insults. He gets real personal with that, that the weaknesses here can be insults from other people. So when people go after you with with clever ways to make you look bad or your faith look bad or your lifestyle look bad, when they do things to kind of make you look that you're weird and stupid in some way, Paul deals with that. He talks about hardships, circumstances forced upon us, reversals of fortune or, or fame and situations that get us to feel trapped in our lives. He talks about persecutions. Wounds and abuses and painful circumstances or acts of prejudice or exploitation because of your faith or, or your culture or your class or your color. And so here he deals with these persecutions. And then last he talks about calamities, crushing blows that weigh us down, overwhelming stress and pressure and tension. And so today I'm sure that we would not argue that all of us understand and have to deal with the reality of suffering and stress. Now, the second thing that jumps out at me in this passage is this. I ask myself, well, how do I deal with suffering and stress? What's my response? I mean, sometimes, I'm sure not like you, sometimes when I'm going through a tough time and everything seems to be coming at me, I get angry. Paul didn't get angry. Sometimes I'd like to throw something or hit something. 
I don't kick our dog because I think the dog would probably bite me back. But, but you know, you, you, you feel like kicking something or doing something. Maybe there are some that, well, you know, the only way I can deal with this is if I go out and drink or get drugs. And it used to be that drugs was, was you know, the abuse of drugs were illegal drugs. But now in our society, even in churches, we have a problem with using prescription drugs to kind of deal with all the weaknesses. And uh, we can overeat. I know that's a problem with me. I, I, when I, I've told you this before, that when I'm really stressed out and upset, I pull the chair right over to the refrigerator and I just sit there. But that's see, not the way to deal with it either. And so how did Paul deal with it? Well, I want you to realize that Paul tells us in verse 8, he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this that it should leave me, that it should be taken away. And so what is he talking about here? Well, he, he's telling us that what he really did in response to the suffering was that he, he went to God and he pleaded with God to help him and to take this, this thorn in the flesh away, to take away all of these weaknesses. I don't think for a moment Paul enjoyed this. I don't, I don't think he asked for it. I don't think he liked it. But when it came, he ran to God, and he asked God to take this away. And so I think what he's teaching us is this, that we need to pray and expect an answer. And it's not wrong that when tragedy strikes, for us to fall on our knees before God and to beg God, to plead with God to take it away. And so Paul's response was that he looked to God and he prayed to God three times, kind of like the Lord in the garden of Gethsemane, when he went to God about, you know, would you take this cup of suffering away from me? Three times he prayed. And then every time, though, he said this, remember? Not my will, however, but thine be done. I'm sure Paul had that attitude. And so three times he went, went to God. I think the three times is not magical. I, you don't need to leave here thinking, oh, I have to pray for everything three times. I think what he's emphasizing here, that it wasn't a casual prayer. It wasn't a careless prayer. It was a persistent prayer coming from his heart because of all of the issues that he's dealing with. And so we need to pray that God would help us and expect an answer. Now the answer. I mean, imagine God coming to him and said, you know, Paul, I've heard your prayers. I, I know that uh, you've prayed three times, and uh, I know you're uh, broken, you're weak. But I want you to know, Paul, uh, I'm going to leave the thorn. And I, I would guess that maybe God would have said this, I'm going to leave that thorn, I'm not going to take it away from you, but I'm going to give you something way better. I'm going to give you my grace that will not only help you with this thorn, but any other problem that you have in life. And in your weaknesses, my grace will be so displayed that that, that weakness will become a power. Do you believe that? That God's grace is truly sufficient. Well, I, I think when Paul's dealing with this stress and and so forth. I think that the third thing that I want you to realize is this, the recognition of God's plan and power. That's, that's the focus of, of really 9 and 10. 
that, that there's this recognition in Paul that God's grace is really going to be sufficient. Sufficient for all life experiences and for all times. When, when Paul writes this and he says that, uh, that God told him that my grace is sufficient, it means that it was sufficient when God spoke, but that it was also going to be sufficient in the years to come. It was going to be for ever and ever. It was an everlasting kind of grace that would be there for him at all times. My grace is sufficient. Now, when you think about this then, Billy Sunday, the great evangelist in the early 1900s, said this, the only way to keep a broken vessel full is to keep it under the tap. So Paul's talking about these weaknesses. He's talking about how broken we are. And, and you know that if you have something that's broken that normally would hold water, and you hold it up, and you fill it under that tap, and then you take it away, it's not going to be full for long because all the cracks, all the weaknesses, all the fractures are going to let the water out. And so really what Paul's saying, what D.L. Moody is saying is this, that when you have something that's broken and you hold it under the tap, the only way that it remains full is if you continue to hold it under the tap. God's grace is the tap. And when we rely on him to strengthen us, even in our weaknesses, he's saying this, I'll be there all the time. You will be under the tap of my grace all the time. You don't have to ever run low. Well, I want you to <clears throat> think about it this way. I found this, this great picture this week that I want to show you, and it's about brokenness. And, uh, you know, God can take the brokenness of life and make something beautiful out of it. And so uh, the uh, picture is not up there. Oh, there we go. So matter now, no matter how broken you are, so on the left, you can see that there's this picture of this cup that's, that's all broken. It's, it's uh, you know, apart. But somebody who is creative and powerful on the right took that brokenness and made something beautiful out of it. You know what? That's a picture of what God can do in our lives because of his grace being all sufficient. Well, <clears throat> Paul tells us in this portion that he boasts about this. He says he gladly boasts. The word uh, here, boast, really is from a Greek word that we get the word hedonism from. And so, you know, he's, he's saying that, that I'm going to boast gladly. I'm going to be happy to boast in these weaknesses because it's going to be displaying the power of God in me. And go, so God gives us strength to endure and even to rejoice. He uses the word content notice in verse 10 too. And the word content means I find pleasure in them. It's the same word that we find uh, in the Greek in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 3 and verse 17. When God the Father speaks from heaven about Jesus and he says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased the same word and so we're only able to deal with this these issues of life when we experience the grace of almighty God so as we close God works through ordinary decisions and events 
to bring about his desired ends. This passage teaches us this, that Satan thought he was doing something, just like with Job. He thought he was doing something that was really going to hurt Paul. But you see, God had other plans. God is able to take even the attacks of Satan and wicked people and, and the things of life and do something great and wonderful with it. He's able to make something beautiful out of something that is broken. And so he wants us to, to realize that he works behind the scenes oftentimes. Isaiah uh, talks about this, chapter 18. He talks about how God can be in heaven at times and be quiet and, and allow certain things to take place to finally bring about his will, his plan in our lives. And so God is in charge. And so when, when the apostle Paul talks about, you know, this thorn in the flesh being a messenger of, of Satan, he also wants us to realize that similar to Job, that God gave the okay, and that he's celebrating here the greatness of God and how God works in all situations. And so God works in our lives. And so the evil men in Corinth undermined Paul's authority by attacking his weak bodily presence, his unsophisticated speech, is apparently they didn't think that, uh, you know, he had this spiritual experiences even to be uh, an apostle. And so God came along and said, no, all of these weaknesses, all of these issues, all these problems, I want you to realize that I'm not going to take them all away, but I'm going to give you something that will help you to deal with every single one of them. And so, do we rely on God today as individuals, as a church? I think sometimes we rely too much on modern-day psychology, and we rely even sometimes in church in more on new business models than on the power of God. Sometimes we rely more on cultural fads and issues that are not bad in and of themselves, but we don't rely on the power of Almighty God. In the Old Testament book of Zechariah, Zechariah says this, that it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by thy spirit, saith the Lord. How do we handle things? It's not just by our own might, it's not by our own power, but it's by the spirit of God. And that's what Paul's talking about here when he says that God's grace is sufficient. Well, what's our response? Let me encourage you today don't let the stresses of life fracture your life. Don't let the stresses of life fracture you. Let me encourage you to be open and honest and cry out to God in prayer. And let me encourage you to trust God, his plan, his purposes, his power. And as you leave and as we close, and we're going to have a special prayer here in a minute as Ben comes up, but I want you to remember this. Christ's power is made perfect in your weakness, in my weakness. You might not know what mine are right now, and I might not know what yours are, but God knows. And God's saying to each and every one of us, 
When you're weak, I will be strong. My grace, for whatever you're dealing with, my grace will be sufficient for you. For my power will be made perfect in your weakness. Make it personal today. Let's pray.